Good morning. Ignore that. We will be in Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the pew in front of you. It's a chilly Lord's Day this morning, uh, but I'm humbled and excited to be able to bring the word to you all. The biggest rising star when I was in middle school, I know this will date me, but the biggest rising star when I was in middle school was none other than Justin Bieber. (laughs) And you were labeled as either a believer or a hater. Every girl was madly in love with him and every guy absolutely despised him. Uh, But this week I was reminded of several stories of people who spent thousands and thousands of dollars undergoing cosmetic surgeries to end up looking like Justin Bieber. From the hair to the shoes, their mannerisms, uh, the people spent their time, money, and energy attempting to become another person. Plain and simple, Justin Bieber had some disciples. They were worshiping him. But worship, as we know of the creation, rather than the creator, is rightly misplaced worship. Misplaced worship. Regardless of your personal feelings towards Justin Bieber... (laughs) Misplaced worship has not only plagued the world, but it's crippled our church. And today, as we read Romans 12, we will be presented with biblical worship. And we will see that when the gospel transforms us, biblical worship proceeds from us. So we're going to begin by reading Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment." each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable In the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, 
Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Dear Father, God, you are holy and you are mighty. I pray this morning that your name and that your son would get all the glory. I pray that you would use me as I am in desperate need of you. God, I pray that our worship would be biblical, that you would open our ears and our hearts to your word. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Romans chapter 12 begins with a very important statement from Paul. He states, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And whenever we run into a therefore, we must ask ourselves, what is that therefore, therefore? The book of Romans is a mountain of theology and doctrine. And Paul has spent 11 chapters proclaiming and teaching the excellencies of God. And Romans chapter 12 is this turning point for Paul's letter. And to correctly view Romans chapter 12, we must look back at Romans 1 1 through 11. Paul begins Romans by sharing the good news with his readers. Romans 1.16 states, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul declares that the firm foundation, the gospel of Jesus, is the power in which mankind is saved. In chapters 2 and 3, we find that the man is contrary to God. God is the righteous judge and there is no partiality in him, but we are found as the guilty, sinful criminals that his judgment shall fall upon. Man is entirely dead in their sins and incapable of doing any works that could result in the saving of their souls. Romans 3.23 states that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news of the gospel is in verse 24 in which Paul states, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Mankind is dead in the grave, but God is the resurrecting king that conquered sin and the grave. Chapters 4 and 5 share that the glory of God is shown through his tender mercy towards man. Mankind was not only dead in our sin, but we were entirely enemies against God. Jesus died for people that did not love him. Jesus died for the worst version of every person. Jesus did not die because we deserved it, but because his great love and grace was given to an unrighteous people. Because we are unworthy of salvation, it must be by faith that we are saved and not by works. If we were saved by works, it would not be God's grace that saved man, but man's merit, and this is not possible. Romans 5, 6 says that for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Romans chapters 6 through 8 proclaim that God redeems his people entirely from their sin, and they should no longer walk in it, but they should present their bodies to whom they choose to serve. 
whether to sin leading to death or to God leading to righteousness. Paul shares that the Christian walk is not perfect. And Paul finds himself not doing the things he should do and doing the things that he should not do. But thanks be to God that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God in his sovereignty is displayed in Romans 9 where Paul states that the Lord has mercy on whom he chooses and pours judgment on whom he decrees and he is perfectly just in it. Romans 10 brings the truth that salvation has come to the Gentiles. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will not be put to shame. And Romans 11 teaches that the Gentiles, those who were not God's people, have become God's people and have been grafted into his family tree. And God's mercy has reached an undeserving and perverse people. And Romans 11 ends with the waving on to chapter 12 when Paul states, look with me, verse, chapter 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Therefore. This is the lens we must use when we approach Romans chapter 12. As we behold our God and his power, his creation, his gentleness, his mercy, his love, his judgment, his choice, his reconciliation, and his redeeming son. As we behold him who is above all things, the only appropriate response is biblical worship. Romans chapter 12 provides us with four principles of biblical worship. Four principles of biblical worship. Remember that when the gospel that Paul proclaims in chapters 1 through 11 transforms us, biblical worship in chapter 12 will proceed from us. One theologian puts it this way, in light of what God has done in Christ, the believers are summoned to obey the following injunctions. And this brings us to our first principle of biblical worship, which is it demands complete surrender. Look with me in verses 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul uses a holistic approach to the body to determine the response of man to the redeeming God. When Paul says that our bodies should be presented as a living sacrifice, he means that every ounce of who we are should be surrendered to the Almighty. Because all things are from him and through him and to him, all of us should be in complete surrender to him. Paul appeals to us from his apostolic authority to give God what is rightfully his. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Live as a sacrifice to God. A sacrifice that is not only living, but also holy and acceptable. Be set apart for God doing what he pleases. Why? Look at the end of verse 1. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Biblical worship is more than just singing songs. Biblical worship is more than attending church on Sunday. Biblical worship is more than praying and reading your Bible. 
Biblical worship is not without those things, but it requires complete surrender to the Almighty in those things. Worship of Jesus is 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Every ounce of who we are is subject to the king who saved us. And King David was singing the same truth in Psalm 103, 1-5, which states, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Behold your church. Behold your God, church, that is so good to you. Bless the Lord, O our souls. And all that is within us. Praise his holy name. Amen. Paul authoritatively tells his readers to not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have an epidemic of conformity to the world in the church today. Masses of people conform to the world with the entirety of their lives and show up pretending to be transformed Sunday morning. This is misplaced worship. Worship of the God of the Bible is not confined to a worship service Sunday morning. It is certainly not confined to singing three songs. Friend, if you find yourself conformed to the world, instead of being renewed by God, let me invite you to transformation. This word used for transformation is the root word we use for metamorphosis. Imagine the transformation of a larva into a butterfly. From death to life, the gospel is the power of God to transform all who believe in it from death to life. This good news of Jesus is available to you today. Repent of your sins and believe in the resurrecting power of Jesus. He paid our debt on the cross, was buried in the grave, and rose again three days later, conquering sin and death. Obtaining this true transformation is found only in Jesus. And when Jesus pulls your life from the pit and calls us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, he places us into the body of Christ. This brings us to the second principle a biblical worship. It exists as community. Verses 3 to 8. Look with me. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Jesus redeems his people out of darkness and into community. 
Paul's warning here in verse 3 is to avoid prideful thinking. Prideful thinking will place ourselves above those around us, and this is contrary to the gospel. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When the gospel transforms us and the Holy Spirit renews our minds, we ought to think humbly and correctly about ourselves. We must remember where we came from. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-27 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. If we are unwilling, if we are unwilling to think about ourselves with sober judgment, we are ignoring what God has said about us. Ultimately, God is calling his people to care about his name more than we care about our own. This way of thinking helps foster and flourish unity in the church. In a divisive, sinful, separated world, Jesus prayed in John 17 that his people would unite together as one, just as the Father and the Son are one, so that the world would see the church and believe that Jesus is is the Messiah. All who are in Christ are one in Christ. We are not saved to a single player version of Christianity. We are saved into a body of believers that exists to glorify God, make disciples, and share the good news to the world around us. When we fail to be united with one another, we ignore the unique role Christ has, has us to play in each other's lives. In verse 6, Paul says that, ha- that ha- having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Being a part of a church doesn't mean simply attending church on Sunday morning and occasionally Wednesday night. When God brings us from the darkness to, into his light, he gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness and gracefully gives us gifts that can be used to bless those in our local body. Shame on us. For ignoring the grace God has given us by living life alone, but being members of a local church. Unity isn't a suggestion by Jesus. Unity is a characteristic of his church. If you find yourself playing single player Christianity, God has something more for you. God has a body of believers that he has equipped with gifts with the intent of building you up and glorifying him. God has made each of you uniquely for his purpose, for his glory, and he has given you gifts to use for edifying his church. I pray we boldly proclaim the same words Paul does, let us use them. But not to use them for selfish ambition, but for love. The third principle of biblical worship is it is characterized by love. Look with me in verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. 
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let love be genuine. In short, don't be a phony. God is commanding his people to not be a hypocrite with their love. Being entirely reliant on God's love, grace, and mercy, but harboring anger, grudges, and selfishness toward each other is hypocrisy. We must let our love be entirely authentic. Worship of the true God with all of our lives exemplifies itself in loving one another. John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. One of the most common questions I asked while I was in youth ministry was, is it bad if? I asked this question for everything under the sun. I was one of the less intelligent kids in the youth group, and I knew that the stove was hot, but I had to touch it just to make sure. I enjoyed tiptoeing the lines drawn in the gray areas just to push limits and boundaries. I have warned Carly many times that if our kids are anything like me, we are in for it. My pastor later sent me a John Piper clip where he tells the congregation to stop asking if this or that is bad and instead ask if this or that is going to help you run the race. Ask the question, Is this good for my walk with Jesus? To abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good is to focus on asking the question, what is right? What is expected of me? What is good for my walk with God? What is good, perfect, and acceptable to God? We can only arrive at this answer when we live as living sacrifices to God, as we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. How different would your life look if you were committed to holding fast to what is good? What would instantly become absent from your life? And what would instantly become more present? There are things in our life that we have held on to for far too long. And God is saying, to worship me, you must abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. What are we holding on to that is limiting our ability to love one another well? I beg the question, how would the atmosphere in this room change if our goal was to outdo one another in showing honor? What if this entire room was putting the people to their left and to their right before themselves? What would be instantly different? May I remind you of the early church, Acts 2, 44 through 47. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the, te- day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts 
praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day who were being saved. Church, we are falling short if we only see each other once a week. And our conversations consist of only small talk and smiles. How patient are we being? How often do we rejoice and pray? When was the last time we helped someone in need? Do not. I repeat, do not let this be a to-do list to become a better Christian. I do not want this to be a to-do list we take home to check off, mark the items so that we can be right with God. That's not what this is. These are the marks of true transformation. And if we lack these things, we don't need to just adopt them into our lifestyle, but to examine ourselves to see if we've been transformed in the first place. Adopting these practices, but not being transformed by the power of the gospel, leads us back to where we began, misplaced worship. So as we continue, do not think as if we are making a weekly to-do list. This will lead us to not serve God out of love, but out of selfish ambition and fear. Biblical worship isn't only vertical, it's horizontal and reaches to God's people, but also reaches to a place we wouldn't think of, our enemies. The fourth principle of biblical worship is it reflects his mercy. In verses 14 to 21, look with me. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we worship God and present our bodies as a living holy, and acceptable sacrifice, we treat people with mercy, grace, and love that God has bestowed upon us. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God, and in fact, we are. Paul's list here is pretty exhaustive and self-explanatory. I don't need to say much else. Let the word speak for itself and simply see who we are. If these are the marks of a true Christian, How present are these things in our life today? I don't want to beat you up verbally for not doing these things. I want to encourage you. If you have been transformed by the power of God, by the power of the gospel, do these things because they have been done for you. This is the great has been done list. Where do you find yourself in this text? It's definitely easy to find ourselves on the left side of the sentence. Stick with me. This is what I mean. It's easy to associate ourselves as the group that Paul is telling these things to do. And that is true. We can definitely associate with the church that Paul is writing to. But these things are written to edify, build up, and instruct and bless God's people. But we can also associate ourselves with the right side of the sentence. Walk with me through verses 14 through 21. Jesus blessed those who persecuted him. 
Jesus rejoiced with those who rejoiced. Jesus wept with those who wept. Jesus lived in harmony. Jesus associated with the lowly and the outcast. Jesus did not repay evil for evil. Jesus lived peaceably when possible. Jesus, who would have been righteous to express his wrath, withheld it from mankind and allowed the Father to pour it out on himself. Jesus fed the hungry. Jesus gave the thirsty drink. Jesus overcame evil with good. Now where do you find yourself? We were the enemies of God and he blessed us. We were the lowest of the low and he came to us. We were chaotic in our sin and yet he brought peace between man and God. We were guilty and he took our judgment. We were hungry and he gave us the bread of life. We were thirsty and he gave us the fountain of living water. We were entirely evil, and he gave us his righteousness. We were dead in our sins, and he gave us life. If this isn't your story, I invite invite you to make it your story today. Believe in the Lord Jesus and repent of your sins. Receive the life he offers to all who believe and place your faith in the one true God, the only hope for mankind, Jesus. If you belong to him this morning, see these things are not a list that will make us right with him. It's a list of things that have been done to us by him. And we ought to do those for those around us. I pray our worship here at FBCCJ is more than just a song. I pray it is a body completely surrendered to God, existing as a community that serves each other by the love that God provides as we reflect his mercies to those around us. Let us pray.